Hey guys, this is me, DB, producer of the uh, Underground Goat Shenanigans with Dave. Just wanted to let you know that we are, as 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 we're getting started, we're working on some uh, different kinds of formats, bringing you the best of nerdy fiction, fandom, and facts. It is just that we may not be able to do that with every episode. We really want to thank those who have been helping us with special shouts out to Russell Whitaker and Sid Smith. So, I was going over some of the uh, tapes uh, Farmer Dave created and thought I'd share one with you. Hey everybody, it's me, Dave, and I am in a good mood. What would produce said good mood? Well, I'm going to go get a little me time and work on the podcast at the same time. Sort of kill two pterodactyls with one stone, as the Illuminati apparently used to say, before they uh, you know, left on uh, spaceships and left the Earth and abandoned this base, uh, which is underneath my goat farm. Uh, for those of you who have not uh, tuned in before, um, so... It's not easy doing a podcast, trying to explore an underground base, and uh, basically take care of a working, viable goat farm at the same time. Especially this time of year. This is kidding season. I joke. No, no. Kidding season. Kids, you probably know, means baby goats. So kids, you know, when they the mama goats have the babies, and we need to have, the, you know, the mamas have babies each year so that we can keep making milk so we can sell it and make cheese. So this is a really, really busy time around the farm. Then I got this whole underground base thing that I'm working on. And one of the nerds, he sort of released a bunch of killer bees that were armed with little tiny machine guns. They were kind of cute, but kind of deadly at the same time. I mean, uh, so we just overcame that crisis. And so I don't really have a lot of time for me. I don't have a lot of time to work on the podcast. But I found something in the computer banks a couple days ago. Apparently, this underground base has a pool. So I've just you know finished up the evening goat chores, uh, ran all the nerds out of the base. Uh, you know, Pinky, you know, my best friend, you know, I would have, you know, she would have stayed here, but uh, she's a veterinarian and she's got a milk test in the morning. So she's left. And so it's just me. And I am going to go to this pool and I'm going to relax, bring some recording equipment, maybe record a little bit. Um, you know, I'm I'm really excited. This is, you know, this is going to be fun. I'm going to be able to, to hang out, uh, be a little creative. I, I'm excited. You, you don't get a lot of times like this when you're, your life's goats. So, um, if you're listening to this on a cell phone or a computer, uh, then you can't tell. But if uh, you're watching this through a Psionic CR15X device, you can see I've got my towel, uh, I've got my uh, flip-flops, I'm uh, wearing my trunks, you know, I've got my shirt off. And if you can't see this, I apologize for that because, well... Farmer Tan, it's a real thing. Hey, and who knows? Maybe I'll even be able to indulge some of my, you know, most special, most secret me time activity, some reading. 
you know, I've got a brand new novel here uh, from the cover. You know, it's my favorite subgenre. Uh, hot chick in black leather with big machine guns fighting supernatural threats. Uh, subgenre. My favorite uh, of all types of books. So, yeah, you know, I am excited. You know why also I'm excited? Is I am imagining what type of pool the Illuminati has. This has got to be amazing. I'm imagining that, you know, it must have, you know, all marble floors. And it's got to be Olympic size. And it's got to have this, like, jacuzzi all gold-plated. And it's got... Like the deck chairs that have got to be the most comfortable deck chairs in the universe because, you know, the Illuminati must be hoarding that. And then there's, imagine there's this sort of robot that comes by and, and keeps, keeps serving you, you know, lavender flavored lemonade, which was one of the best treasures that the Illuminati was hi- hiding ever. So, you know, this is going to be great. Okay, well, here I am now. I'm at the door. This is seven levels underground. And the door is marked 7C, and it's got a possessive S. That's weird, but not the weirdest thing I've seen uh, in an underground Illuminati base. So, okay, let me go ahead and open the door here. Okay... Uh, Now that I've opened the door and I'm looking inside, it's on the top three weirdest things I've seen here. Uh, There is not a pool. There is not marble floors. There's not a gold-plated jacuzzi. No, when I'm looking in, I'm seeing a room. It's probably about... 500 feet long, maybe um, 200 feet wide, and I can see the roof looks like about 100 feet, but I, I don't know how deep it is because it's full of water. There's a dock, so right from the door, there's a dock, and it's pretty much the length of the room, and tied up to this is a what looks like a World War II era destroyer. Um, I don't know, maybe Cold War, 1950s. It doesn't look like a modern boat. Uh, it's gray. Um, and, and uh, yeah, it, it looks like a World War II destroyer. I mean, it's got torpedo tubes and it's got depth charges and I don't know 300 feet long so I would say a destroyer um but on the front and back are these two just huge Tesla coils and it's tied up to this hardwood dock um I'm actually walking to the the end of the ship to see if I can maybe you know uh read its name on the aft side I mean, it's a big, it's a big ship here, Um, and all I can think of, how do they get it down here? You know, we're seven levels, probably 150, maybe 200 feet under the ground, and and how do they get it here? Do they like 
build this and then fill it full of water and then fly it in with this giant like crane hooked up to a helicopter or did they build this room and then take the ship apart piece by piece and then brought it in here and reassembled it I mean neither of those sound really practical but I uh, I don't know uh, I really don't oh oh okay um, you may not have saw that, but, but something just popped up out of the water over there. Uh, and, um, yep, it's shark fins. I am thinking that these are huge blue sharks because they are huge and they are the color blue. Um, but, you know, I, I wish Pinky was here. You know, I'm not a marine biologist, but at least a veterinarian might be able to have a better idea what type of, of sharks they are. But uh, they do seem to have big teeth. Okay, this is getting stranger and stranger. Okay, I'm, I'm almost at the end of the boat. Okay, and I'm about to read the name, and it is the USS Eldridge. But of course it is. Okay, um... So, for those of you who are listening and are maybe not as up-to-date as I am on the paranormal, you may have heard of the Elridge uh, as the ship in the Philadelphia Experiment. Now, I'm a guy who lives on the top of a Illuminati base, and I pretty much thought that the Philadelphia experiment was a hoax. Um, and, I mean, when they were shopping around trying to find someone to, to basically make a book about this story, John the Mothman Prophecy Keel, the man who never came across a conspiracy theory in his life, that he didn't embrace French kiss, and then put on the cover of a book, thought it was a hoax. But here it is. So, in case you don't know the story, this was an attempt uh, during World War II by the government to make a boat invisible by surrounding it with electromagnetic radiation. And it not only, according to uh, a witness who identified himself as uh, Carlos Allende, it, it basically started teleporting the ship through space and time. And then when it came back, you know, the crew members started disappearing and then they got in a bar fight and then they just vanished. And according to Allende, not official naval records, I might add, the crew all went crazy. But... Here it is. Now, officially, the boat was sold to the Greeks and then it disappeared. I don't mean like, poof, it disappeared and now reappeared in an underground Illuminati base, but maybe I do now. Um, I'm not sure of that. But the Greeks... The Greek Navy literally just lost track of it. 
And it wasn't until, I think, the 80s that a reporter for the uh, Greek language edition of Playboy found it and took pictures of it. That, you know, here it is at this uh, naval scrapyard waiting to be taken apart. So uh, it's been a day for me. You know, first there are sharks in my swimming pool. I discover a cursed World War II destroyer is buried 200 feet beneath my farm. And then the, I learn that I've been blatantly lied to by the uh, Greek language of edition of Playboy. I'm not sure which one bothers me the most. Well, one thing's for sure. I've got to find out what's going on on this boat. Hey everyone, this is DB. Uh, thought I would maybe break the tension a bit and something uh, Dave recorded about the secret pulp history of DC Comics' iconic Arkham Asylum. What'd you think we were gonna break the story up and uh, ask you for money? Who do you think we are? NPR? Do I sound like Ira Glass to you? Alright. Well, uh... You know. We do have a patron page and, uh... The website does have uh, bills, but, you know, hey. Let's talk about uh, Batman's uh, famous madhouse. All right. Here's Dave. I really didn't get into comic books until after I had graduated college and I had my own source of money. In fact, I was into H.P. Lovecraft and the Cthulhu Mythos more than a decade before I really got into comic books. And I remember one of my first experiences with comic books was I was at a bookstore in Southern California, uh, freshly out of college, and on this rack it had uh, the Arkham Asylum uh, graphic novel, uh, Grant Morrison's A Serious House on Serious Earth. And I saw that, and I saw, you know, Arkham Asylum, and I immediately thought H.P. Lovecraft, and I was really excited. I thought that there were Cthulhu comics, and I started reading it, and I was disappointed that it was a Batman comic. That was my introduction to Arkham Asylum in the Batverse, but it, it got me thinking. There had to be a connection somehow. So later on, I started studying, you know, loosely. I got into comics, started doing research on, on the internet. And back then, there was this story that said that uh, Bob Kane, the man who we credit the most with creating Batman, actually was on a train as a young kid or young man with H.P. Lovecraft and he recognized him, and Lovecraft was uncharacteristically in a sort of a good mood and wanted to talk to someone, and so he answered all of, of Bob Kane's questions about how to write. And this happened, of course, you know, in the early 30s, and then when Bob Kane created Arkham Asylum, he did it as a tribute to that moment. Um, we now know that story. It's completely apocryphal. Uh, but even then, it sort of smelled as, as fake news. 
Uh, I'm not sure that unless you were in Lovecraft's uh, inner circle, even his fans back then, unless they were really close, I don't think they really knew what he looked like. Unless he had corresponded, and I mean, he did send pictures to people that he sent letters to, but I'm not sure a random fan would know what Lovecraft looked like in the 1930s. Also, by the time they got to where Arkham Asylum was created, Bob Kane had almost nothing to do with Batman, the daily, day-to-day work of creating the comic, other than signing the residual check. Another internet theory that actually had a little bit of credit was that this was because during this time, Donald Wondry was pretty high up in the DC editorial board. Now, this made more sense because Donald Wondry was a very close contributor and friend to Lovecraft. Uh, When I started doing more and more research, uh, I found one of my favorite comic resources, Comic Vine, and it had, it said that Arkham Asylum was created by uh, Dennis O'Neill, Denny O'Neill, in his 1974 comic, uh, The uh, Curse of the Two-Headed Coin. It went on to say that it didn't know if there was a relationship between Lovecraft's creation and Dennis O'Neill's. Now, ironically enough, Lovecraft didn't create Arkham Sanitarium. This was created by his good friend and correspondent and contemporary Robert E. Howard. Howard is most famous, at least nowadays, for creating Conan the Barbarian. But he actually did a lot of different types of stories. Uh, When he died, he was actually bringing quite a bit of money writing westerns. Uh, He wrote historical action adventures. Uh, He wrote uh, Supernatural. He wrote boxing stories. And he, for a little while, definitely had stories that were part of what we now consider the canon of Cthulhu Mythos. In 1931, he wrote what many people consider his best mythos story. And in fact, many people think this is one of the best mythos story that was not written by Lovecraft, The Blackstone. And in this story, he has a poet that goes mad by the name of Justin Godfrey. And he needs some place to to lock this poet up when he goes crazy. So he created Arkham Sanitarium, getting the name from Lovecraft's setting of, of Arkham, where he wrote most of his stories. And Lovecraft loved this. He was so pleased that his friend was tipping his hat to him in this way that he used it in a short story called The Thing at the Doorstep. So that I knew pretty well documented the origin of Arkham Asylum from the Cthulhu Mythos point of view. Now I needed to find out about it from from the 
comic book side. So about five years ago, uh, Denny O'Neill came to a Comic-Con where I was nearby. And my whole purpose of going there was to ask him about Arkham Asylum. Denny O'Neill is actually one of my favorite comic book writers. Uh, and if you're not familiar with him, he basically invented the Bronze Age of comic book writing. He basically created in modern comics where it was okay to write about real-world issues in the comic storylines, things like racism and drug use. So at the end of his presentation, I was able to ask him, you know, did Arkham Asylum, was it influenced by the Pulps, Lovecraft, and Robert E. Howard? And he said, absolutely yes. And then he's, at this time, he, he was in his 80s, and he, he just sort of rose two inches. I mean, he just, when he started talking about the Pulps and how much the people who worked in the 70s in comic books were so much product of the Pulps, and how they loved these these stories and and adventures that he just sort of was glowing and he he did confirm of course that that uh Donald Wondry but also Julius Schwartz who was a literary agent for um for Lovecraft how they were both driving forces at that time for DC and how they sort of steered the writing at this time towards the pulp style and how comics during that time were more story-oriented and less character-oriented. And that's one of the things the Bronze Age did bring out was more character-driven stories um, because the pulps were, were story-driven tales. So he said that for uh, the curse of the two-headed coin, that they were looking for a name for a mental institution, and it was sort of a group assignment. They were all sitting there uh, eating dinner one night, and one of the the people on the team, Jack C. Harris, says, "I got it. I know what we're going to call the mental hospital. We'll call it Arkham Asylum after Lovecraft." And he said, everyone on that table, that was their aha moment. They all slapped their forehead because they should have all thought of it before. And they agreed this was a just about perfect idea here. So there you are. There's confirmation that, you know, Arkham Asylum did come from, inspired by Lovecraft and Howard and the Pulps, by the person who created it. Uh, Denny O'Neill is much older now, and... And unfortunately, a few months after he told me this, uh, his wife, who was just this great support to him, passed away. And so he doesn't go out to as many cons and conferences as, as he did. But I really do suggest that you get to know who he is by reading about him, but also reading his work, because his influence on comics is in a way every much as powerful and as influential as 
Lovecraft was on horror. Well, that was interesting. Uh, learned a lot of new things. Well, let's get back to uh, Dave and see if he survives his time on the USS Eldridge. What do you uh, say? That kind of... <clears throat> that, of course, uh, if he survives. We heard him talk about uh, Batman. I did say I found these tapes. Maybe it's some kind of found footage program like Blair Witch or uh, Cannibal Holocaust. Maybe you could uh, hear about uh, Dave's last moments. <laughs> Maybe not. Stick around and find out. Okay, so I'm walking on the gangplank, and I'm about to get on the boat, and I'm looking down in the water, and three of the biggest blue sharks that have ever existed just swam underneath the gangplank. So, um, okay. You know, I, I'm wondering, I, I don't see, you know, is this an ecosystem? I don't see any other animals. There's, there's no, no plants. The only, you know, only life that seems to be here are the sharks and me. So, you know, how, how do the sharks live? What do they eat? Um, I guess that's an Illuminati secret. Okay, I'm getting on the boat now. And it's, it's, it's eerie. I mean, it's creepy. How else would you describe a World War II era Navy boat 200 feet under the ground? But it's, it's also creepy because other than the sharks, it's just me. It, it almost... It's almost like this, it, it feels like it's a Hollywood set, but you know, it, it, it's solid. I mean, it's not a prop. This is, this is it. This is the real boat. Um, but it's lifeless. It's deserted. And that is spooky. It, it really is. Okay. I'm walking over, uh, I'm walking up uh, stairs that should should lead me to uh, the bridge and uh, I'm hey did you hear that let me uh let me let me point the the recording equipment towards where I where I heard the sound coming from okay hey now now that I can see what it is let me see if I can get a little better recording of this oh, okay all right so uh, as you can probably hear it, it it's the ship's bell and I freaked myself out. I was thinking it was ghost or something, but you know, it's just the, it's the wind. Uh, it's just blowing the ship's bell. Um, uh, okay. Um, all right. I, I, I just had a, another thought here. I am 200 feet under the ground in a hermetically and atmospherically sealed room there is no wind okay uh, I think I'm going to head off here because this is kind of freaking me out the the bell is just ringing by itself okay um okay I'm I'm heading back down into the the main deck here yeah, uh, yeah. Let's just get away from that bell. It's it's really kind of creeping me out here. 
Okay, I'm going down the stairs. I am here on the main deck. Uh, I'm looking at this huge, huge Tesla coil. This is, they're supposed to have used some sort of electromagnetic radiation or something. That's how it was supposed to make the ship invisible. Uh, some people think it may have been sort of a confusion about, you know, the degaussing, which is makes a ship less magnetic, so magnetic mines won't set off. But but no, this isn't this isn't degaussing. I, this is uh, this is some serious weird stuff here. And again, it's just so. Except for that bell, you know, and the sharks and me, it, it's just so dead. I mean, dead quiet, and it's it's kind of freaking me out. So here is an open hatchway. I'm I'm walking through it. Um, Okay, this, I think this is the mess hall here. Uh, I think this is where, where they would have eaten. I mean, here's uh, tables and there's no food, but all the plates, uh, they're all set out. And, and what, is, what is that? What, what? Uh, oh, okay, this is some weird art um okay it's on the wall it's on the far wall I'm, I'm walking over here um again if you can't see this let me describe it because they have this is just the the strangest art i've, I've ever seen so it's on the wall it, it seems to be made out of the same steel that's the ship's hull it's come it's coming out of the bulkhead and, and it's basically a torso uh, uh, of a sailor you, you can't see his legs it's just I, I'm not sure how they just sort of, they must have welded this in I, I'm not sure it's almost like they carved it out of maybe one piece of metal maybe they actually uh, molded it this way I, I, I'm not sure but you see, you see his torso uh, and he has this, this I mean the artist is amazing the artist is crazy. I mean, who would make something like this? This guy's face is like all contorted. Uh, you know, he's got that little, those, those, what they call the Donald Duck hats, you know, the sailor hats. And, and he's reaching out and his palms, his palms are, you know, flat out. Like he's trying to push something away. And I mean, oh, the artwork here is amazing. I mean, you see the buttons here and, and, and you know, I look in, you know, the, the his mouth, they, they, they carved a tongue in here. And, and I'm looking at these, the, the paw, the paw, the hands. I mean, I mean, I look around and, and you can see that, you know, there, there, there's fingertips and, and, you know, on the hands. I mean, there's so much delicate work here. There, there's, you know, lifelines and love lines and ridges and grooves and fingerprints um uh, this 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 is an art um i i think i know what's going on here uh and i need to get out um so so in the book the book about the um it was called it was called the bermuda triangle but but it really half the book was about uh and there was a cheesy drive-in movie too made about it uh it was written by uh 
uh, Charles uh, Berlitz, uh, the the found, you know, the the heir of um, the Berlitz Language Company, and um, and and one of the things they say is, you know, that people started disappearing and, and walking through walls, and and I think I'm remembering that somebody got fused into a bulkhead and literally became metal, what like, th- and I think that's what I'm seeing. And I am going to leave because this is freaking me out. What? What? Did you hear that? Hey, I don't. The, the equipment's not picking this up, but but I hear it. Can 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 you hear this? It, it's a voice. No no no. Um, the recording equipment's not registering. It's not registering anything. But okay, I I, I hear I hear a voice. And, and it, it's 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 like he's speaking to me, but it, but it's in my head, and it, it, it's it's saying help me. Um, it, 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 it it's it's telling me it's telling me he he, he wants out. Um, he, he, okay, uh, this is now top two weirdest things that have happened to me since I've discovered the Illuminati lab. Okay, uh, did did you hear that? Okay, n- now it's telling me to get out. It's telling me that they're coming back. Who who's coming back? Um, okay, uh, he he said the old ones. Now I'm leaving. I'm I'm heading back, and oh, okay. Uh, hey, um, the ship just rocked. I mean, ever, ever since I've been here, it, there's this, there was no wakes, there, there was no waves. Uh, okay, um, hey, I'm taking off my flip-flops. It's just too hard to, to walk if the ship's moving. Uh, okay, um, all right, I am, I am outside, and I am heading back to the gangplank, and did, did you hear that? Oh, okay. Um, uh, um, okay, so uh, so the Tesla coils seem to be turned on. Uh, they're emitting this sort of St. Elmo's fire glow, and yeah, this is. Uh, I'm, I'm getting out there. I'm, I'm heading back to the gangplank, and okay, uh, I'm sure you, you hear that. Um, there's something going on, and uh, uh, okay, I'm. I'm at the gangplank. I'm hearing things. There, there seems to be like mist, almost like tentacles made of fog that are, that are rising out of the water. And, and okay, I'm, I'm trying to let me. I'm walking down uh, down the plank, and I, so so the sharks the the the, the, the sharks are back, um, and they are um, they're swimming underneath the the gangplank, but but these they have like tentacles coming out of their nose. It's like it's like it almost looks like an asylum movie, you know, squid shark. But it, but it's not it's not really funny. But it, it's it's okay. Uh, I need to I get off this gangplank before it before it uh, before it crashes in the water. Okay, uh, I, I'm on the deck and I am running to the door. Okay, I, I've got to open the door here. Okay, and. Now I am shutting it very, very tightly.
Oh well, hey, um, so, uh, sorry that uh, sort of break didn't take place, uh, but, um, hey, uh, this is Dave, and, um, well, see you next time. Well, see, Dave made it off the Eldritch. You didn't think we were going to kill off the main character in the first episode, did you? We got plenty more episodes to do that, and... <laughs> And thank you for listening from all of us here at Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans. Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans is written and created by David Heath and produced by D.B. Spitzer. Portions of Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans that are not recorded in an underground Illuminati base beneath a goat farm are recorded at Badger Drift Studios. You can find more information about Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans on Facebook page or at Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans Facebook HW. As well as you can, uh, you know, check out uh, pgttcm.com and go to Dave's Corner and check out his link there. And check out Black Clock Audio Tales, where Dave does all kinds of cool stuff. And also, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, where Dave also does all kinds of cool stuff for us. <laughs>